0: So I am so glad you guys are joining us today because we are starting a brand new series called Doubting God. And in this series, this is gonna be great. I've been looking forward to this series for a while. I've been doing a lot of work on it and, and I'm really excited for it because we are going to interact with some of the questions that many people have regarding God or some doubts that maybe we have regarding God. And a lot of times, the problem is a lot of times in Christianity in particular, In the Christian Church in in America, we believe that there's no room for doubts when it relates to our faith, which is the whole reason we're doing this series. We think that if you have faith, then you can't have any doubts; they can't be touching each other at all. You know, if you have doubts, you're not a Christian; you have no faith. Or if you have faith, you can't have doubts either. Like, and what I'm going to try to do and try to explain today, what I'm going to try to show you, is that there is honestly room for your doubts and your faith to coexist together. In order to do that, I'm going to have to set up a little bit for us. So um, you may not recognize this, but there were 13 post-resurrection appearances of Christ. These were formulated by an individual who studied the New Testament, put it all together, and said, okay, based on what the all of the Gospels and the letters of Paul, we have 13 separate post-resurrection appearances of Christ. So he appeared to Mary Magdalene as the gardener. So this is after he has died and then he's resurrected. He appeared to Mary Magdalene as the gardener. He appeared to two other women who were with Mary Magdalene, Salome and Mary, the mother of Jesus. He appeared to Luke, or he appeared to Peter. He appeared to two men on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to the apostles, except for Thomas, and we're gonna get into that in a little bit. He appeared to the seven of his disciples on the shores of uh, the Sea of Galilee. He appeared to the apostles on the mountain in Galilee, where he is taken up. He appeared to over 500 of the brethren, as the Apostle Paul records. He appeared to his brother James, also as the Apostle Paul records. He appeared to his apostles and ate a meal with them, according to Acts, and Luke tells us that. He ascended, the ascension that we hear in the beginning of Acts, and then he appeared directly to Paul in Acts, and it's also cited in Corinthians. Now, You would think with all of those post-resurrection appearances, right? Many of those the disciples were part of. Many of those the disciples experienced. They were there when these things happened. But even then, some of them doubted. And we would think today that if we just got one of those, if we could just see one of those things, just hear one of those things, then hey, we're good, solid, I, I'm, I'm set. I don't need anything else. Thanks, Jesus, for showing up and building my faith. I don't need any more. Some of these apostles or the disciples saw many of these different things, not only one or two, but, but many of these different post resurrections appearances of Christ. And still, in Matthew 28, we still see, Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. After his resurrection, Jesus shows himself to the disciples. They saw him. They saw him. All 11, okay, so minus Judas, the mountain where Jesus told them to go. So he told them, hey, go see me on on the mountain in Galilee. And when they saw him, they'd already saw him before. They'd already saw him before this moment. But when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted some doubt it. And again, we think and we believe here in the American church and in the Western church that your doubts and your faith have no space to coexist together. That they can't work together. That in fact they can't take up the same space. They're like oil and water. They can't mix. They have to be separate. But again, the disciples saw multiple of these 13 post-resurrection appearances of Christ. And even after they had seen him, they see him on the mountain in Galilee, and they had seen him post-resurrection, and seen him on the mountain, they still said, I don't know. I'm still doubting because this is just so above and outside of and not within the sphere of my understanding. I mean, Jesus, I don't have a category for any of this. I'm not sure what to do with any of this. Now, maybe you've had doubts like that related to your faith. I mean, I know i have i've had questions related to faith more times than than you can count probably i mean one of the most existential crises in my faith came when i was in bible college it did i have a degree in biblical studies and and you need some old testament classes to learn to achieve that degree so we do pretty much not exactly an even balance but it's like a, a three to one almost you know three New Testaments to one Old Testament kind of survey and and explanation. Um, You have to learn about different pieces of the Old Testament. And then uh, we were studying the story of Exodus and the story of Moses and how Moses came out because we were learning how God made covenant with Noah, made covenant with Abraham, and then Moses, and then Jesus established a new covenant. So we're learning all these different covenants. And um, we get to the one about Exodus and then we start explaining Exodus. And I learned in my classes that we have zero archaeological evidence on the Exodus. We don't have any agreed upon archaeological evidence of the Exodus. I mean, sure, maybe you've got some people that say they found some things or they can relate to some things, but nothing that scholars can come together and say, we fully agree that this was related to the Exodus which means that there may not have been any archaeological evidence related to the Exodus, which I'll be honest, when I was in college, studying to be a pastor and preach the Bible tore my faith apart. I mean, I did a whole mini deconstruction in my biblical literature class in my Old Testament survey when I was going through this because I was like, this is so... Heavy and and over the course of my class. I learned over the course of my class I learned that these ancient documents were written differently than modern-day Documents and that we have to remember that when we're reading them that we have to be careful when we're reading them that many of These different theories that they talked about related to why we don't have any evidence Of the Exodus that that there's tons of different theories related to why we don't have evidence of it or maybe there's some evidences that have been miscategorized or maybe our timelines that we're looking for things are off there's tons of different things to talk about which I would love to get into but we'll have to do that another time because that's pretty a thick thing in fact I would love to do a small group on it and lead a small group talking about biblical archaeology and some of the different things associated with that but anyway uh, here's the thing that freed me. This is the thing that I realized that just totally allowed me to let go of the reins, let me allowed me to let go of the, the chains that were holding me in place as it related to this struggle, this hang-up that I had. <coughs> and it was that my faith was built on Jesus, not Moses, not on the Exodus. If every part, I mean, just explain this, and this is going to make some of you church growers very uncomfortable um, so I'm, I'm going to apologize up front, but for those of you that don't know anything about the Bible, you're not going to care. And those of you that grew up with the Bible that are f- thinking about deconstructing or doubting God, or you're not comfortable with it, you may uh, amend this statement. Um, but that if the Exodus wasn't true, if the entire beginning of the Exodus wasn't true, or maybe the entire Exodus story wasn't true, that doesn't affect my faith as a Christian because my christianity is not based on moses it's not based on the exodus my christianity is based on the fact that jesus rose from the dead and was the son of god and atoned for my sins see that is what my faith is built on that's what i that's what i do that that's that's where i go when i have any struggles and issues and it completely completely freed me when i recognized when i recognized that i didn't have to have all of those answers but again we all struggle with doubts right i mean if we're being honest if we're being completely honest we all struggle with doubts i mean doubts are a very real part of a faith journey in fact they're they're the way that god kind of builds and grows our faith and i assume because you're watching this that you've had doubts in your life too and it always causes sort of a tension, right? When you have a doubt associated with your faith, it, it kind of creates a rub. And you begin asking yourself, like, is this made up? Is this fabricated? Was the Bible just constructed to, to be used as a religious tool to control the lower class of people, um, are we making these feelings up in our head when we're standing here in church and, you know, they sing that Heather nails that certain song or Ken nails that certain song and you're like, oh, Lord, have mercy, right? Is it just feelings? It's made up. Maybe, maybe these things aren't real at all. Maybe it's all fabricated in my, my head. And I mean, the truth is, is we generally all have these types of questions, right? I mean, we've probably all dabbled in it occasionally and thought of, well, what if? And maybe it's not. What happens if this works this way? So why do we doubt? That's the question we have to ask. Why do we doubt? Well, I found that there's very common things that many of us share when it comes to doubt. There's questions we can't answer, so we doubt God. There's situations that seem completely unfair, so we doubt that there's even a creator, because how can he be involved? hurts that you can't resolve situations that have from your past that hurt you so deeply that you ask the question, God, why would you let this happen and you can't resolve them in your head? And here's the issue. Here's the issue. When your theology doesn't bend, when we don't allow our theology to be shaped and molded by our experiences and be shaped and molded by the scriptures and we've, we've got this very hard attitude of theology, um, it doesn't bend, and eventually it does break. Let me explain this a little bit better. Sometimes we think everything has to be black and white. We have to think everything is black and white, but I'm going to tell you right now, the Bible is not black and white. It's not that simple. There's areas of gray. In fact, it's something else entirely. If you've become so set in your ways, that meaning that you won't bend your theology, you won't construct your theology, you won't open yourself to maybe you read a passage incorrectly or you interpreted a section of the scriptures incorrectly or maybe you didn't view this story in the Bible through the right lens or or maybe you tried to view it through a lens when you were 17 or 18 years old but now you're 35 or 40 and you haven't gone back and allowed that lens to shape and, and form based on your experiences because sometimes they that happens. God uses that if you won't bend, you won't allow it to shape. You won't allow the Holy Spirit to bend and shape your theology. Your faith will break; it absolutely will break. And listen to me: if you hand your kids, if you hand your kids a a, a version of faith that is ironclad and can't move, they can't experience it. They can't experience it. They can't feel it out for themselves. Um, you're going to hand them a rigid thing that's going to eventually going to eventually break. In fact, Brian Zand, who wrote, recently wrote a book, he's a theologian It also leads a church out in the Midwest, he actually talks specifically about this. So he tries to get to the bottom of a lot of doubts when it comes to Christianity, in particular doubts related to history, archaeology, or science. Um, and he brings this into his teaching and preaching, and he, he makes sure that doubts are allowed to to be expressed and explored. He says, when we don't deal with our doubts, so when we don't deal with them, we just take them, stuff them into a closet, and stick them in the back. When we don't deal with them and we hide them in the closet, they morph and deform into monstrosities. And some of you have experienced that. And this monstrosity, because your church that you grew up in, or maybe your family didn't let you express questions, didn't let you express doubts and let you walk through a faith journey. Instead, they just handed it to you and said, it's all true. Don't doubt it. If you doubt it, you don't have faith. You don't love God. You can't please God. You're horrible if you don't believe these things and you're going to hell if you don't have faith. So here it is. I hope you're okay with this version of faith. Take it and run with it. Oh yeah. And if you believe anything different or you think it any differently than your church thinks about it, you're a heathen and you're probably not studying the scriptures and the Appropriate way. Does that ring a bell for anybody in the house this morning? See, your journey, your faith is a journey. That's what we've got to remember. Your faith is a journey, not a destination. Your faith is a journey, not a destination. You never arrive at the place of faith. Your faith is an adventure that God is going with you on. And dealing with your doubts will become a catalyst to a stronger Faith, it'll become a catalyst to a stronger faith. When you deal with them, don't put them in the closet and ignore them and pretend them like they don't exist. Pull them out, hold them in your hand, and examine them. Figure them out. You never reach the place of perfect faith. Sure, that's the goal. That's where we want to be, but the disciples saw Christ, and and Matthew records that some of them still Doubt it. I love the fact that Matthew didn't say, who still doubted? Because all 11 were there. All 11 were there except Judas. But some of them, of the 11, still doubted. But he wasn't going to name drop them because he didn't want to do that to them. And and you'll you'll never know it. You'll never know it or have it all figured out when it comes to faith. And that's okay. You don't need to. That's the great thing about this experience with God and this adventure that we're on called life. We don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the answers related to your faith. And listen to me, parents particularly, particularly for parents, and you're going to go, Brandon, what do you talk about? I've got five years of youth, expen- youth experience uh, serving in the youth group, actually seven if you count the years I was volunteering, that I've seen this happen with teenagers year after year after year after year. I don't want to alarm you, okay? I don't want to alarm you, but you should be know this. Don't, or you should know this. Don't be shocked, okay? Don't be shocked when your kids begin to ask hard questions. They're going to ask hard questions. They're going to ask hard questions. And it's, look at me, it's an opportunity for you. It's an opportunity for you because the church and the home, the church and the home should be the safest place to ask the hard questions. In our youth group, I will let the students question anything they want. Want And you're going to go, Brandon, why on earth would you do that? Because if I don't give them the space to question their faith, they're going to break it and they're going to walk away from it. We have got to show them that God is not afraid of their questions. The pastor can't be afraid of questions. The parents can't be afraid of questions because the minute we become afraid of questions and we become afraid of people's doubts or inquiries about our faith and our religion... The minute that that starts to take front and center, we've closed ourselves off from growth, and it looks like we're afraid. It looks like, don't pull the curtain back, because if you pull the curtain back, you'll see what's behind here. Oh no, we can't ask that question. If they ask that question, oh, the whole thing comes tumbling down. Let me tell you this much right now. They have tried to disprove Christianity, and it's still the number one religion in the world. Two-thirds of the world identify as Christians, okay? They have tried to do it. The new atheist movement, first of all, the Enlightenment movement tried it before, And they couldn't do it. The new atheist movement in the early 2000s tried it and they couldn't do it. Now we've got the woke movement that's trying it in this new age religion that's going to try to take Christianity down and ask these questions. And every time the church runs from the questions, they lose influence. But every time the church leans into the questions and doesn't run from them and engages with them and is okay asking and answering and searching the questions, then the church gains influence and people's faith is built the last thing we want to do parents and if you're a church leader and you just happen to stumble onto this the last thing we want to do parents is act like there's a curtain that nobody can peek behind behind that there's a there's a protection that nobody's allowed to look because if they look and hey man if you look back there you'll see the wizard and you don't want to see the Wizard of Oz because he's not what you think he is right God's not like that our faith isn't like that so we shouldn't be like that either Because the strongest faith isn't faith that never doubts. The strongest faith is a faith that grows through your doubts. My faith got so much stronger when I gave myself and my professor gave me the space to ask the question, what if this isn't real? What what happens now? And I threw it into discussion questions. And I wasn't afraid to throw it out in class. Well, why are we even reading this if we don't have any archaeological evidence that the Exodus is true? Why do we care what this has to say? How do we know that the God we believe is the God that exists and we were able to have those, quest- those, those conversations related to those questions? Because a strong, the, strongest faith, the strongest faith isn't a faith that never doubts. The strongest faith is a faith that grows through doubts. And in the next few weeks, I want to discuss your doubts right here. So, bring them. Bring your doubts. Bring your thoughts. Bring your friend's doubts, your friend's thoughts. Bring your friend who's been questioning about God and science and your friend who thinks they have to be perfect to be a Christian or any of those things because we're going to explore all of these doubts together. And then I encourage you. I encourage you, I encourage you, I encourage you. If you're not part of a serving team or you're not part of a small group, get part of a small group and a serving team because your community, your community is where you can express those doubts. And we've done our best and we will continue to do our best to build a culture that fosters being able to ask questions and unpack our view of God together. So we're going to go through these doubts over the next few weeks. Today, I want to look specifically at one of the disciples who walked with Jesus who had doubts. And his name was Thomas. So John actually records this. John tells us that now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. After the resurrection, Jesus shows himself to the disciples, but Thomas was absent. He wasn't there. He didn't know that Jesus is rose from the dead. So the disciples told him, told Thomas. I mean, of course, who's not going to tell Thomas? Runs to Thomas and they say, we have seen the Lord. But he refused, but he said them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas, Thomas, one of the devout Christians that followed Jesus, followed him for three years, followed him step by step by step. When this happened and his disciples came running, and don't forget, Jesus said, I'm gonna raise again and I'm gonna rise again. And nobody believed him. Nobody was at the tomb counting backwards when the sun was coming up. Nobody was like, Oh, this is the third day. Everybody pay attention. Hey, pay attention. Here it is. Ready? Jesus He's about to come out of the tomb. Okay, you guys ready? Pay attention. Here's the sun. Sun's coming up, sun's coming up, sun's coming up. There he is. Jesus. Like nobody did that. There was nobody there. And then Jesus showed himself to the people and showed himself to his disciples. And then they go and they tell Thomas. Thomas goes, I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, I think Thomas got a bad rap. Because if you pay attention, any sermon that you've heard, uh, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means the twin, I've heard, uh, in fact, Stephen Furtick, a popular preacher from Elevation Church, he did a a whole sermon called Doubting Didymus, and basically got after Thomas for not believing and is not believing in Jesus, which I mean, let's be honest, none of us would believe it either. If somebody came and told us that one of our friends had raised from the dead, none of us would believe them either. We would say, yeah, right, I want to see. Uh, Show me some evidence, right? And and let's be honest, the only reason that the other uh, disciples believed was because they saw Jesus. Again, nobody was at the tomb counting backwards. Nobody was expecting him. They were actually going to prepare his body when they stumbled onto the fact that the tomb was empty. And in fact, you can can probably relate to Thomas. I can relate to Thomas. I'm a realist, right? I look at this, Thomas I think was, I think Thomas was also. I think he had some hurts in his past life. I think he had some hurts associated with the fact that Jesus wasn't who he thought he was, right? I mean, that's what Thomas was thinking when Jesus was crucified. Probably disappointed probably incredibly disappointed because of the way some Pharisees acted and the way that some people at the temple treated him and hurt him and hurt his family. And then this man Jesus comes along and then he says he's gonna change everything and then he's dead and he never comes back and he's left, and we're three days down the road. I mean, Thomas is probably going through some serious stuff. Not to mention, he's got to figure out what to do now because he's followed Jesus for three years, and now Jesus is gone, and his friends are saying, Jesus is back. He's like, yeah, right, I got to get back to work, guys. Come on. See, questions, questions don't make him bad. Thomas's doubts don't make him bad. They make him human. He's human. Again, the only reason... The only reason that those guys believed was because they saw him. Thomas hadn't seen him. He doubted like you would doubt, like I would doubt. Like, yeah, right, guys, Jesus is walking. Sure, sure. In fact, Oswald Chambers, he's quoted saying this, Doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he is thinking. Thomas was thinking. Thomas was deciding, I would love that to be true, but I don't think it is. I would love that. But you notice he wasn't so closed off. He said, oh, I believe if he can come and do this. And this is what you need to know, that your doubts don't disqualify your faith. Your doubts don't disqualify your faith. Since you have doubts, it doesn't mean that you can't have faith. That's not what it means at all. And if we're going to rank the disciples, right, we're going to unpack and rank the disciples number one to number 11, I mean, Thomas has got to be near the top. And you're going to go, no, 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 Brandon, Peter is near the top. Matthew, James, those guys are near, yeah, maybe, maybe. But let's take a look back at one of the pivotal moments in Jesus' ministry just a couple weeks before this moment where Thomas was the one who actually was going to follow Jesus into a messy situation so in John chapter 11 in John chapter 11 and chapter 12 we get the story of Lazarus and those of you that have been part of the church or been part of a church for any amount of time and you know this story Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead Lazarus dies from some sort of disease they send word to Jesus and says Jesus we need to go heal we need your help to go take care of Lazarus Jesus says, no, 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 we're going to give it some time and then I'll go see him. And then after that, Lazarus dies. And they arrive and they show up. The the disciples show up to Jesus and they say, so they told, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Jesus is describing to his disciples, look, Lazarus is dead. Because Jesus says, no, 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 Lazarus they're like, oh, Lazarus is asleep. Jesus is like, no, 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 you guys are dense. He's dead. That's what I'm trying to tell you. He's dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Right? Let us go to him. And then Thomas, Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us go so that we may die with him. Let us go so that we may die with And this is key because Jesus had just left that area of Judea because they wanted to kill him. The Pharisees wanted to kill him. And now Jesus is saying, no, 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 we're not going to go heal. We're not going to go heal Lazarus. We're going to wait till he dies. Then I'm going to go resurrect him. And oh, yeah, they've already gotten mad in that region because I'm doing miracles, but I'm going to go do the biggest miracle down there. And it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be great, but it's probably going to start the downhill spiral that ends in my passion. So um, this is what we're going to do. And as you remember, Jesus, when he brings Lazarus back to life, that's the end of it. The temple is on Jesus' heels. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like real faith. I mean, that sounds like real faith uh, he, Thomas says, come on, let us go so that we may die with him. We know the persecution he's about to go through. We know that people want to kill him, but Hey, I have faith. Thomas would say that we're going to go with Jesus. And then in John chapter 14, Jesus says he's going to go prepare a place for the disciples. So this is the night of the Passover. Jesus says he's going to go prepare a place for the disciples. And when Thomas finds out about it, he asks Jesus, "How do we know where you're going? We can't if we can't go with you." See this this isn't a person of weak faith. This is a person of strong faith. Thomas wanted to go with Jesus everywhere. He wanted to follow Jesus everywhere. And yeah, at the end he had some doubts. He had some doubts. And, and remember, when doubts come up, don't run from them. Work through them. Don't run from them. Work through them. And then chapter uh, John chapter 20 tells us what happens after Thomas sits back and goes, look, I need to see the nails. I need to see where the nails were in his hands. I need to see the place where it was in his side. Thomas says, I need to see it. And a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the doors that were locked, Jesus, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, notice he, he didn't look around at everybody else. He looks right at Thomas. He comes right for Thomas. He says, Thomas, put your finger right here and see my hands. Reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting, Thomas, now that you've seen and believe. Thomas' response is the same response that you would have, same response I would have, same response anybody that was faced with a risen Savior would have. He said, my Lord and my God, eight days later, Eight days later, Thomas still showed up with the disciples. Thomas shows up with the disciples. And they're like, no, 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 we've seen Jesus. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, no, no, no for real, come, come and see him. Thomas still showed up with them. He showed up. He showed back up. And you showed back up. You're here. You're watching this. You're interested. You want to figure out what faith is all about. You want to understand what faith in Christ looks like. Congratulations, that's awesome. You came back. And I want want you to notice something. Jesus came to Thomas when he was doubting and gave him what he needed. Thomas was working through the doubts, and Jesus showed up and met him. One moment Thomas is doubting, the next moment he's shouting. One moment he's like, I don't know if Jesus is who Jesus said he was. The next minute he sees Jesus, he's like, my Lord and my God. Just like some of you will do when Jesus touches you. When Jesus shows up the way he showed up for Thomas, when he shows up for you the way he showed up for me, when he shows up for you the way I know he showed up for some people in our church, you'll be shouting too. You'll be sitting back and doing that. But until then if you're exploring and you're searching God's not distant in your doubts. Jesus is not some fair like some far off savior that way back when we can never talk to, we never understand. He's willing to come close. In fact, he I think he prefers to do that. You can question, you can wrestle, you can struggle, you can have doubts because the greatest doubters often become the strongest believers. The greatest doubters oftentimes become the strongest believers. After this moment with Jesus, Thomas preached Jesus faithfully. He preached the gospel all across the area of Asia Minor. and Tradition tells us that he was martyred in India in 72 AD. So he was martyred for Christ killed because he wouldn't stop telling people about jesus he was murdered and or he was martyred and murdered for christ and then, but he's the same guy who eight days after the resurrection said i don't believe i need to see the marks in his hands i need to see the marks on his side doubt can drive you away from god or God can use your doubts to draw you close to him. Doubts can drive you away from God. Or, if you'll let him, he can use your doubt to draw yourself closer to him. Just like Jesus came to Thomas. We all have doubts. And I'm sure that if I gave you the opportunity in a whiteboard and you came in, here and you put all your reasons to doubt, we would all sit and go, Yeah, I know that makes sense. I mean, I understand why you doubt. I, I get why that section is tough for you. I understand why that topic is difficult. Like I, I get it, right? Like none of us would argue with you. And if you doubt, you're in good company. You're in good company. Thomas doubted. Peter struggled with some things. Paul doubted. God uses doubts. He uses it as an opportunity to grow faith. So listen to me. Keep going. Keep showing up. Keep asking questions. Don't be afraid of the questions. Explore your faith. Ask. Talk. Discuss. Figure it out. Don't run away from it. Don't don't take the rigid thing you were handed and expect it to stay perfect forever. It's okay. As you mature, your faith can mature. As you move forward, your faith can move forward. It's all right. Just keep showing up. Because the greatest doubters have become some of the strongest believers. So, next week, you don't want to miss the next part of this series where we talk about Christian doesn't mean perfection. I encourage you to join us next week. But before we go, I'd love to pray for you. Father, thank you for the testimony of Thomas that we have, that he had faith when Christ was walking on the earth. He doubted the resurrection, and once he experienced you, he had faith again and then built the church because of the work that he did. So, God, we're so grateful that you used him that way. And, Lord, we pray that you would guide and teach us in our doubts that we all have and the struggles that we all experience. Teach us the ways to do things and the ways to handle stuff. Lord, we love you. We give you all the praise. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.